Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman here Woo! with you. Ooh. You didn't give me time for my woo. No, I, I want to see. I want to just come on in with it. Hey, Bring it coming. on. I was coming. You know, Bring it I, on. It didn't matter to me. You could have kept talking. I may, I may just start wooing in the middle of your thoughts. I wouldn't have a problem with that. Okay. Flair does it. You can just be, you know, Triple H can be just giving, and I'll tell you what. What if I stripped down to my underwear and just started elbow dropping my clothes? Well, we got, we got, this is a hard floor in here. I don't think that would be a good idea. You break an elbow. <laughs> you know, I would video it though. Yeah, there'd be, we get some hashtag content out of that. I promise you. So I caught him right when he's taking a sip of his muscle milk too. We might as well spew the microphone there. Don't do that. Just had a good workout over at the club. Yeah. Workout. Club fitness. Okay. Trying to, trying to get fit. Actually, I'm trying to stay fit. Actually, I'd say you are fit. You're actually, trying to stay fit. trying to stay fit. And quite frankly, I guess the goal as a guy that I don't know who he was, but back in the day at the Sanderson Center, I was over there in my college days, and a guy would always wear a T-shirt in that said, I just want to look good naked. And I think that should be all of our philosophies in life. We don't have to be muscle men. You know, we don't have to be uh, Mr. Olympia. But when you get out of the shower... And you see that mirror standing there, you should look at that mirror and think, you know what? It's not bad. It's not bad. That should be your goal in life. I agree. I don't I I can't I can't there's no lies detected right there. Uh <laughs> wanna thank you guys for listening to uh today's show. We appreciate it wherever you're listening to us. Uh be it at supertalk.fm or wherever you're getting your podcast from. We want to thank all of our listeners, especially servicemen and women out there across this globe of ours. I want to thank our sponsor, Strange Brew Coffee House and Turning Spoon Ice Cream. I assume Turning Spoon is, is I'm sorry, that Strange Brew is, is probably on your, your to-do list today? It absolutely is. You can take that to the bank. It's, just, it's probably circled in bold letters, too. It's like, I gotta <laughs> the, have the, the only question is, what's on drip? Mm-hmm. Because it's blueberry, mm-hmm. unless hazelnut's on drip today. In which case, I will go hazelnut. Because I have become a hazelnut connoisseur. Well, you and my wife get, get along just fine. Yeah, it, it's, it's really good. Yeah. And, uh... I, when I, when, I, I, when say, I order her Ferrero Rochers for Christmas, should I get you some as well? Uh, you, my mom used to love those things. They're hazelnut. Uh, yeah, 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 I used to like them too. Um, no, because I'm not much of a candy guy, so she can she can handle all that. But, okay. But yeah, uh, hazelnut, and you can't have any that knock off. Go to the grocery store hazelnut. And it's got to be stranger hazelnut. It's okay. And that's not that's not just some promo, folks. No, no, that's 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 true story. And uh, you know their premier drink over there. Albino squirrel, hazelnut. It's like the, there you go. That's 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 their that's their money maker. One of, one of the main yeah. ingredients of that. So. All right. Well, we got a good show for you today. We're gonna we're gonna talk a little Cruton. You'll get to hear the Cruton song in just a bit. Uh, we will finally hit the uh, SEC preview for everybody who listens to this podcast. Second favorite team, the Ole Miss Rebels. Oh, that's that's actually I, I lied right then. Uh, but first. We've already done a positional breakdown, but this position is is so up in the air and important, and there's just so much going on with it. We're going to go back and look at the wide receivers again because, for one thing, a, a new face has emerged. A guy that I know for a fact that we did not talk very much about, if at all, when we did our positional breakdown, and that's Javonta Payton, who has, every time we've gone out to practice, I've been impressed with him. I think he looks really good. Had the chance to talk to him on Saturday at Media Day. That video is available at supertalk.fm in my article, which has all the videos that I took that day. Um, and he looks like he's going to be a big-time contributor. So, for me, I, I guess I'll start with this, though, because well, it always goes back to the quarterback position. Uh, does it 
is the ceiling of this group going to be determined by who the quarterback is, or are both guys capable of, of, of getting these guys the ball? I mean, if one guy is, you know, really a lot better than the other one, then of course the receiver, the receiving play is going to be better. I, you know, I'm still not convinced. And again, I'll go back to yesterday. I do think Tommy Stevens will end up being your starting quarterback. But if you'll recall back several months ago, whenever we were discussing Kelly Bryant and we were discussing is Tommy Stevens going to come or not come and things, I believe I said on this very program that my outlook for the season doesn't change dramatically regardless of who the quarterback is. Okay. Now, I, I, as you say frequently, I reserve the right to change that. If Tommy Stevens starts and comes out guns blazing and he has a 65% completion percentage every game and all of a sudden maybe I think that this team can be a lot better with him as the starting quarterback. Um, but I, I say all that to say I think both Keaton and Tommy Stevens – can be service at the you know bare bones bottom serviceable quarterbacks and productive quarterbacks, and I I think that both of them have the ability to get these guys the football. I don't necessarily think that that if that, that Tommy makes everybody a better receiver or Keaton makes everybody better, at least at first glance. All I have to go on is what I've seen at practice. All I have to go on is is what we've heard. And right now, what we've heard, what we've seen, and we talked about it yesterday, there isn't just a ton of separation between the two. So, I guess, I guess it does matter who the quarterback is. But at the end of the day, it, these receivers have to get separation. These receivers have to not drop passes. These receivers have to make plays. And it doesn't matter who the guy is throwing the ball. Yeah, I guess who's throwing the ball could give you a better chance to do some of those things. But, I mean, we've seen passes the last couple of years. You know, last year Fitz put a couple right in the breadbasket of guys that would have changed the outcome of some games and drops. Yeah. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you can talk about the quarterback thing all you want to, but these guys, Gidry, Osiris, you know, the newcomers, the, the, the veterans – they quite frankly just have to be better. They have to play better. They have to – we did the, 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 the chalk talk thing with Coach Moorhead, and, and he was talking about – I think he showed us – I think it actually may have been a catch by Gidry, and it may have been at K-State if I remember right, or maybe at Kentucky. I can't remember, but he was like, that was a 9-10 yard gain, but with more experience in the system, that, that could have been 20, 25 right, plus. Right, right, right. I mean, those are the things that have to be better mm-hmm. this year. And do I think they can be better – yeah, anytime you do something for a, you got a year under your belt, now you would sure hope that you see progress there. So, I, yeah, who's the quarterback matters, mm-hmm. but there should be an onus on these guys that we've got to, regardless of who's throwing us the football, we have a we have to do a better job. Three, three, the three big contributors that are back, and obviously you know there's more than three that are back, but the three big ones are Mitchell, Gidry, and Dedrick Thomas. Dedrick Thomas to me is sort of also under the radar. Guy that never gets really get, gets talked about. Uh, didn't drop a single pass last year. Uh, has been a guy who can who can do some things after the catch, do some things in special teams. Sort of underrated. Not that uh, you know. You think about some, some slot guys in this league, and you think about smaller guys who have really explosive speed, or you think about you know somebody who the guy I would use as an example is AJ Brown. They used to put him in the slot just to create ridiculous uh, mismatches. And he's neither one of those guys, but he's been productive. With with if if the guys on the outside are better, he's going to have a bigger year, wouldn't you agree? I mean, you'd have to, you know. Uh, 
and he had a pretty good year last year, all things considered. But th- th- there's going to be an opportunity for some guys in the slot if if Mitchell and Gidry and Mitchell, you know, Mitchell had taken strides forward last year. I, I know people knock Osiris for the drop against Florida and and things, and and there's been moments, you know, for him, and and, and you scratch your head and get frustrated, but. Osiris has made strides forward, and if he takes another step forward this year, Gidry in his second year in, in the program, you would expect him to. Of course, there's going to be opportunity for guys in the slot like Dedrick, who already had a big year last year, despite all the struggles. You know, he he was really good. Um, Zuber is he going to be in the slot some? I mean, you would think I would so. Think so yeah. I mean, it, I know they they cross train these guys and they can line them up wh- wherever. But when you look at Isaiah Zuber, he looks like a a big time slot contributor. I yeah. mean, he, he's a five. I think he's listed as six foot, but if he's six foot, then I'm six foot, and yeah, he's probably five ten. He's probably five ten, five eleven. But but anyway, he, he looks like your prototypical slot receiver in excellent shape, um, just a little bit smaller, maybe a little quicker and shiftier. Um, he just seems like he he might fit in that role and, and be able to really contribute there. Um, but yeah, when you consider the the additional experience of these guys, the addition of Zuber, I mean. I don't know how you can't be a bit optimistic about this group. I, I mean, I know they'll have to prove it, um, but I, I just don't see any way that they're going to come out and be worse than last year. Right. You know, <laughs> I don't know if that makes anybody feel any better, but you would have to think that this group is going to, bare minimum, be as good, and you would think they're going to be better, and there's a chance that they're significantly better. Yeah, I agree with that. Gidry and Mitchell on the outside. Uh, I feel like Gidry was probably the most disappointing guy on offense last year because you come to Mississippi State as the nation's number one junior college receiver, and you know we'll find out for sure how hampered he was by the by what was going on at quarterback. Uh, if he doesn't have a big season this year, I mean that's that's another indictment of recruiting rankings, which we could play all day. But for me, Gidry is a guy that. The ceiling might be higher for him than anybody else. He's only got one year is the problem. But he could easily, if the passing game is right and the quarterbacks are playing right, become a 40-50 to 50 catch, 600-700 to 700 yard, 7-10 to 10 touchdown guy. Well, you could write a book, not just with Mississippi State football, with Mississippi State athletics, of guys that didn't do much and then they had one year left or, or had, had that one big year. You know, baseball, you think of Chris Stratton. You know, comes out and has the one big year. Dakota Hudson basically had had one big year. Um, you know, you, you could go through through the books on, on in different sports and pick out guys that had had one big year. Um, Darius Slay comes to mind in football as a guy that uh, had a humongous one year. Um, Gidry could be that. You're right. He has the talent level to have that humongous year. Um, how big of a, I guess it all boils down to how big of an adjustment was it for Stephen Gidry to not just come from JUCO into the SEC, but to come from JUCO into the SEC, have a quarterback that, you know, for all of Fitz's positives, we all know he wasn't exactly Peyton Manning back there um, when it came to throwing the football. Have that plus trying to figure out the, the Moorhead offensive style, which as we've already discussed – it isn't always the easiest scheme, it doesn't seem, from the comments we've seen and from the things that we saw. It, it, it doesn't seem like the easiest thing to just pick up immediately. I mean, you would think that Stephen Gidry, when, when you 
if you just want to be sunshine pumper, which I used to have the reputation of being, don't know that I do anymore, <laughs> you could draw out a scenario to where he's great. Well, I mean, another yeah. thing to consider with Gidry, you talk about coming in, is normally you come in and your other teammates are there to sort of like, okay, this is what we do here. He didn't have that. He didn't have that because everybody was learning. He didn't have anybody to tell him, okay, in this situation, this there is was no you, Fred Ross. There was no well, or some like that, some even, veteran that had been playing forever. Not even playing. It's just they didn't know the offense. Yeah. They were they were learning it too. So I mean, that, that's a good point that you know maybe he you know even being an early enrollee, he didn't have the uh, the same foundation other guys would have. So that's that's something to think about. Um, and then with Mitchell, for me with Mitchell, you know it. <sighs> He came out of nowhere last year. Nobody expected him to have the kind of production that they, 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 he ended up having. Um, I mean, we're talking about he only had about 400 yards receiving, but nobody, I don't think before the season, you would have gotten people to give you that he was going to get 100 yards receiving. So, how, you know, that's a big step from your year. He's a junior now. Year, so he was year one to year two. Year, year two to year three, I don't know that it's, it's implausible to say that he might not take a huge step in production. Because you're going to get more from from you're going to get Zuber is going to get catches. I think Gidry's going to get more. It could be very. It could be that Osiris Mitchell sort of stays put where he is, but just becomes a little bit more consistent. That, that could be very well be the case. Because, um, like you said, the ball is going to get. You would think if this offense is productive, it's going to get thrown around a little more to the tight ends. Going to get thrown around a little more to uh, you know probably Zuber and think. Oh, I think we should mention with Zuber too though that. And you saw the practices at the tail end of last week, or I guess there really was only what one that was open yeah. that we could go to, and I missed that one. But, I mean, Zuber's been running some third team at practice. It's not like he's been – it's not like he's been up there with the starting group, you know, right. yet. So, I don't know if that's just because he's the new guy or if that's because he's kind of still figuring things out too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that should be mentioned too. I mentioned a sunshine pumper scenario for Gidry a while ago. I know Zuber – was K-State's go-to guy last year, I mean, there's a chance he could come in this year and kind of be, you know, Gidry-esque and just his head spin, right? And, and, not, and right. Not, not be as productive as you but think he But that said, if he's a guy who catches 400 yards worth of passes this year, I think you, you would take that. Oh, yeah, I think so, you too. Um, so, anyway, I, all that's just to say that, that Zuber, he's got to figure this thing out, too. It, it, he, he, he's, he's not coming in master of the Moorhead offense right. by any stretch. Is it fair to say that this, this receiving core is going to be defined by who the leading receiver is and what their stats are? Because if you have a bunch of guys at 400 yards again, it's, it, it feels like a failure. But if one guy can just sort of break through and be at 750 or, and be at eight touchdowns, it doesn't matter who it is, that you feel like, okay, things are moving in the right direction. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that optically that, that's the way it should be. Um, I, I don't know. I wonder how the, the coaching staff views that, though. Do they do, do they care if they have one guy that has humongous numbers? Because at the end of the day... Well, if you if, have if, like six 400-yard guys, exactly. you know, who cares, I guess. That's what I'm saying. Like, but that seems unlikely. If you have like Farad Green or a tight end that, that becomes, you know, Mike Gizecki or something like yeah, yeah. that, and who's out there catching pass after pass and... Um, does it really matter if you have that one guy? I don't know. I mean, you know, Morehead did tell us that we're going to have a 500 yard receiver this year. I mean, yeah. he he said pointed that with us as, out, pointed us out. He said that with as much certainty as you know. You, you pick something that said with certainty. That's how much certainty he said it with. Let there be light. Yes. 
Okay. And there was light, yeah. and it was good. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, he, he's everything after that was a mistake. Though. <laughs> I'm just telling you, he, he's pretty confident that's going to happen. But at the end of the day, I don't know if they're sitting around scheming, thinking, "All right, we got to get Gidry over 600 yards." Right. You know, I don't think they're thinking like that. But I'm talking about from a perception standpoint. Are we going to look at it and go, "Well, you know, another year of, of MSU not"? It, I think you and I probably will because we do a daily podcast. We got to have crap to we, talk about, yeah. but. But by and large, if the if the passing game is productive, yeah. no one's digging out the stat sheet to make sure there's a. Six, Are we looking? Five or we're looking more at the the quarterback numbers and the receiver numbers. I think so. Okay. I mean, I think that's that makes fair sense. Yeah. because I mean, you got a Kylan Hill that's going to be catching passes. You got the tight ends, which for the sixteen hundredth consecutive year have, have been promised that they're going to be more. <laughs> I asked Tony Hughes, and I said it's been sort of a running gag the past <laughs> few years about these tight ends. If I say pick one guy out of this group to make a big step. And I won't put Peyton in there because you know he's he's a JUCO. But of, the, of this group, to to catch more than twenty five passes for more than three hundred and fifty yards this year, Devontae Jason, Austin Williams, or Farad Green, who are you picking? Twenty five catches north of three fifty. Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking a lot. That's not a lot of yards per catch there. Uh uh-uh. uh About twelve, I think, is what it would be. Who'd you give me, Peyton? Peyton? No, 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 Peyton. Because he's you didn't he's give new. me Peyton. Jason. Austin Williams, Farad Green. Who would you say is the most likely? I mean, Jason did nothing last year. It's hard for me to think he's just going to bust on the scene and have. But more from than a 25. talent perspective, he could. He's he's the most highly rated recruited guy you got. I can't believe I'm fixing to say this mm. because again, we hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. I think of those three. If you just made me pick one, mm-hmm. to, to that I'm, and I'm not confident any of them's going to get it. Yeah, but if you made me pick one, I think I might go for Rod. Really? Okay. Because I, mean, I, I don't, I don't know that with, with the plethora of receivers and things that the state might go to. I, I don't know that well, it's obvious that Moorhead's offense works best when the tight end's a big option because yeah. that's what happened at Penn State. So you feel like okay, if you've got the quarterback to run it, they should be finding the tight end open, right? And that's where Farad Green's going to be. So that, that I mean, I don't have a huge issue. Answer with that. your own question. Who do you think it would be if, out of that? Honestly? Group? Yeah. I think it's Devontae Jason. Really? Because the ceiling's the highest. He might have a higher ceiling than even Gidry. And he's still got three years left to, to get there. But I mean And what's something there is the guy that we didn't pick is the guy that for two years running now, it feels like we've all Well, he's just the champion been, of practice. He's got to start putting we, it in we, the we games. sat there and just waiting on his his breakout moment, which still could come. Yeah. But uh anyway, I, I, I guess it goes to show that there there are definitely options there. Yeah. They're, they're and, there. and we all call it being homers or maybe we're just we do see it but we all think the talent's there at receiver yeah so maybe just maybe mm-hmm. the problem and i know moorhead likes to say it's a three-pronged problem quarterback offensive line play receivers right. running around maybe 95 percent of the problem has been the quarterback yeah i mean I, that didn't i'm not trying to knock nick fischero there because god knows he was one of the toughest guys and he won a lot of games for mississippi state yeah. you know a lot of times with his legs he yeah. had a few moments with his arm too but what if Tommy Stevens can come in and be that 65% completion percentage guy? Yeah. Change, or, or, key, or, or, for that matter, if Keaton has improved yeah, yeah. and is that guy. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I, I mean, that, that changes your, your whole outlook on this team. Changes. If, you're, if you said today that at the end of the season, Tommy Stevens, we'll just say Tommy Stevens, is at 65% completion, which would probably mean he's probably around between 2,800 and 3,000 yards, and it's probably around. 25 to 30 touchdowns. Basically, he has Dak's senior year. Yeah. 
If you tell me that I'm going to get that right now, I will put myself down for nine wins. That's and, fair. And, and an outside chance at ten. That, that that's fair. I mean, no question about that. I mean, so. that's that's a high bar. But would you sit here? To, well, I mean, I, you look at Dak's senior year. Uh, who who they they should have beat LSU in the in the regular season. They should have been nine and three going you know going into the bowl game. So I mean, yeah, maybe one gets away from you there, but nine wins was certainly doable with that. And that defense wasn't nearly as good as what I think this year's defense is going to be. And that offensive line was not nearly as good. That offensive line was not good. So I mean, I shouldn't say they're not good, but they were not as good as what I think this year's offensive line is going to be. Yeah. So yeah, I would take. You tell me, I'm getting sixty five percent, and I'm getting Dak's senior year numbers. I will easily split myself down for nine wins. Me too. Um, I know that not everybody thinks this way. We're kind of going back. I'm going back to the quarterback discussion a little bit here with this. But with Tommy, I think there's a certain camp that thinks he is obviously the better quarterback over Keaton. Even people that haven't seen Tommy Stevens play much, I think, kind of believe that to some extent. Because, I mean, we've heard repeatedly – you know, four years in Moorhead's offense and, yeah. uh, you know, fill in the blank with all the all the stuff and, and how Keaton's career completion percentage is like 47% or whatever it is, 47 48%. Do you feel like that maybe, in some camps at least, we, we have put the ceiling for Tommy Stevens somewhere he can't get? Because like, it's not like there's a humongous sample size of him throwing the football. I think he's throwing like well, 40 I mean, career no, passes. Not for me. Not for me because I, my my ceiling for him is just to be is just to be better than Fitzgerald was. If he's at fifty eight percent, State's still going to win a lot of ball games. You know, I'm I, I'm not setting him up to to be oh he's going to get that sixty five percent. I'm not setting that up. Yeah. So, well, speaking of receivers though, Oh, how the times have changed on the recruiting path. Mississippi State picks up another 2021 commitment. Quincy Brown, a four-star wide receiver out of Destrehan, Louisiana. MSU's 2021 class has two commitments. They are both four-star top 200 players nationally. Not not at position. (laughs) Overall. And, wide receivers and all God's children said, "Amen." How is this even possible? Uh, Brown, a college, I'm sorry, high school teammate of current MSU uh, true freshman Quentin Torbor, evidently, and I, I talked to uh, Paul Jones of 24/7 Sports and Steve Robertson of 24/7 Sports, and uh, they both said the same thing. It is a banner year, and let me let me see if I can find this here. Uh, they got the rankings right here. It's a banner year over in Louisiana. They've got one, two, three of their top seven players, th- four are receivers. In the state of Louisiana. And two of them are already sitting completely committed to our crystal ball to LSU. And it's just a question of they just can't take them all. And actually, looking at the top ten, six of the top ten are are, uh, are uh, wide receivers. That's incredible. And two, then the two that are below Brown are one of them's from Lake Charles and one of them's from New Orleans. That means they're probably going to go to LSU. So MSU has gotten a big-time wide receiver in Quincy Brown. They already had uh, Deion Smith committed out of Provine, who is the actually a top 100 player nationally. He's at 75 and the number one player in the state for the state of Mississippi in 2021, which, by the way, is a real year that we are going to live through, it looks like, which I cannot get over. I, I still can't believe that, like... That's where we're at. There's science fiction <laughs> about 2021. 
And we're sitting here talking about college football still. Um, I think we can put to bed the idea that Moorhead wasn't going to be able to recruit. Yeah. I feel pretty con- – I mean, the, the current class, the, the, the 2020 class, is, is like I said before, it's sort of hampered by the fact that you know there's not a great crop in state, but he seems to be doing well with the guys he's got. But he has definitely exceeded expectations from a recruiting standpoint, I think, especially in terms of getting guys you need at certain positions. Now, granted, it's a long way to signing day 2020, let alone 2021. But pretty impressive stuff from Joe Moorhead as far as the recruiting trail goes. I mean, it's a credit to him because he is – I think he's going to be successful here. I know everybody gets hung up on, well, he's a Northeast guy, I think, or at least they used to. I don't know that they still do. But anyone that spent any time talking to Joe Moorhead, he is as genuine of a guy as you will ever meet. I mean, he, he doesn't feel you full of fluff. I mean, he's a quote machine. You might hear some of the, the same quotes that you've heard before a few times a little bit. But, I mean, he is a he's just a genuine down-home, down-to-earth guy. And that plays well, I would think, in living rooms. You know, to come in and have a guy that doesn't talk to you like he's some god because he's a football coach. That'll come in and talk to you about life or about whatever. He'll just talk to you about anything. And I know if I was the parent of a kid... That play to me, the the fact that you have this guy that doesn't think he's any better than anybody else coming into my living room and 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 recruiting my son, that would play well to me. So yeah. I, I just feel like he has the personality to be really good at recruiting, no matter where in the country he is. And I know that was a question mark, like you said, coming in, but the results are kind of bearing it out now. And I mean, I, I think he's gonna. For as long as he's here, I don't think it's going to be an issue, man. I think he's going to be able to talk to these kids and talk to these parents, and and and, that, and they're going to sense that genuineness. He he's not some fake yeah. dude that's coming in with fake promises, and I and I think he's upfront with people. I, I I don't the quarterback thing, even bringing in Tommy. Yeah, you know we if, heard from all those guys it, that they was very upfront. That he about was it. very upfront. That hey, we're going to probably bring it. Like it, it's not like he snuck him in the back door and said, "Hey, Keaton, look who we got." You know, yeah. that's not how it went down. I mean, he's upfront with these guys and. I think you got to appreciate the way he's he's kind of going about things, even when it comes to his own flaws. Yeah, you know, he how many times has he he sat there at media day saying I shouldn't have come in saying ring size and yeah. all this stuff. Well, and, he says it all the time, point the thumb, not the finger. Yeah, and he and he, you know, I know I said he's a quote machine, but he lives by those quotes. That's yeah. a quote that he'll he'll yeah, he stand behind. To, he's going to live by. Yeah, one thing that's interesting, and you talked about, you know, he's, it's going to be this way going forward. That means you're going to win when you're getting big time players. You almost can't help but win, right? You just can't. So. And for MSU fans, this has to be like a huge breath of fresh air to see receivers that other teams wanted. I mean, Smith and uh, uh, Brown both had plenty of offers from the SEC. Not you're not taking guys away from ULL and and uh, Troy Troy in South Alabama here. No, no offense to those programs, but you're you're getting players other people the other teams you're trying to beat wanted, which is the key. You got to get it's it's anybody can get players. Can you get players that you know other teams wanted? Alabama would take Deion Smith. They would, they'd take his commitment today. So, interesting stuff. Who, who's his lead recruiter? Is it Johnson? Oh, let me see here. You got me? You got me. Let's see here. For, all right. 
Deion Smith. Didn't mean to put you on the spot. That's yeah, all right. I, but I had it right here, so it's not a big deal. I asked that because Michael Johnson I, is the lead recruiter for Deion Smith. I asked that because I was talking to Johnson the other day, and he is just a guy. He is the lead recruiter for Quincy Brown. I kind of thought that might be the case because I was talking to Michael the other day at Media Day, and he was a guy that's just. He's very excited. He is a guy that, again, I think if I was a receiver, I would want to play for yeah. because of how into it. And we heard Moorhead say at Media Day, too, that he didn't think that Michael Johnson's ever had a bad day in his life. I mean, he, that he's just a positive guy. Yeah. This this staff, when you think about Chris Marv and Michael Johnson and um, the limited conversations that I've had with Terry Richardson and Deke Adams and things, they – they seem like a very upbeat group, like a very positive, always in a good mood kind of group. I yeah. don't know if that's the case now. I don't play for them. I'm sure they have their bad days. But every time I see them on the practice field or in an interview setting, I mean, they're, they are smiling. They are energy-filled. They are I, – I, I don't know. This seems like a really cool staff to play for. Yeah. And, and this is – this will sound like a knock against some of the guys that were here even last year. I don't mean it that way, but like Getsy, I love Getsy. He was nice to me, you know, yeah. super professional. But he he was not a guy to me that was high energy, you know, all the time. At least not when I was around him and talking to him and things. Right. And same goes for like Tim Lukabu. Dude knew his stuff. I mean, he's coaching the NFL. You don't coach in the NFL if you don't know your stuff. Right. We're super intelligent. Very good dude to talk to. He he would spend as much time as you wanted to, but. To me, he wasn't. He wasn't that. He wasn't Chris Marv running around, right. bouncing around, drenched in sweat by period two kind right. of thing. I don't know. This just seems like a, a really youthful, positive that, staff that goes away and, in recruiting. And, and youthful, I wonder, especially. Yeah, and I, and I wonder if if they can kind of keep this band together a little bit. I know that's probably going to be tough. Tough, yeah. Because that's just the landscape of college football. But I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to be Alabama or anything, but I could see them recruiting really well with this group. Well, that's you know we talked about it all the time last year about championship standard and like the only way to get there is to recruit better. So you're starting to see maybe the the, the first seeds of that being planted and starting to grow uh, for Mississippi State. One team that knows a lot about great recruiting but not great results are the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, five and seven a year ago under Matt Luke, uh, two new coordinators. Which I'm gonna sort of go against my my sports talk Mississippi co-hosts and say I don't see the deal with Longo now he. The play calling was not good at times, but they they ran the ball up and down. Or they sorry they they moved the ball up and down the field on people. He had nearly a thousand yard rusher to go with all the passing numbers. And I have learned through years of watching Mississippi State, you shouldn't always blame the offensive coordinator. And I say that because I watched Jackie Sherrill call the same plays with six different guys. So you know sometimes the head coach just tells you, "Hey, do this," and you you don't have a choice. As, as Moorhead always says, "I got fifty one percent of the vote." Um, and there, but Wesley McGriff, he had to go. I mean, that guy, that, that was the worst. If you ever really want to, you know, if you're into football and the scheme and all that, go back and watch the Egg Bowl. That's the worst defense I've ever seen. I mean, guys, out of position, and then the the, the lack of effort was it's just startling. If <laughs> this is a fun game for you, if 2016 Mississippi State mm-hmm. Peter Sermon in tow mm-hmm. had played 2018. Ole Miss, mm-hmm. Wesley McGriff in tow. Mm-hmm. What's the final score of that game? Well, I mean, you, it's this. It's, it's probably similar to what the 2016 Egg Bowl was because uh, Fitzgerald and Harris Williams just continued to run through them like a hot knife through butter. And that 2016 Ole Miss offense was not as good as last year's offense was or the year before. So, yeah, probably pretty similar. Ole Miss 
their schedule is not good for them. Not good for a team that's in this kind of transition. Rich Rodriguez and Mike McIntyre coming in. We'll see how that goes. Rodriguez, I think, is fine. McIntyre, I mean, he had one good year at Colorado. I don't understand why everybody thinks he's like this savant who's going to turn around the defense. Um, but that said, they don't have any. They don't have a ton of talent there. They have Benito Jones, who's good. They have Muhammad, Momo Sanago, as they're calling him, Muhammad Sanago, who's. Richard got Richard made a comment to me. It's immediate days like you wouldn't have this guy first team all SEC. He's going to have 120 tackles. I was like he had 118 last year when first team all SEC. Nobody gets credit for having a bunch of tackles on a crappy defense. You know they expect you to have a lot of tackles because you're on the field the whole time. Um, but this this schedule is just brutal. They could legitimately go two and ten. I don't know if I'm going to get them there. We're going to see. But they start the year off at Memphis. I mean that's just a punch in the mouth. All right, you're going to 11 a.m. kickoff in the hottest stadium on earth. There is no hotter stadium for 11 a.m. kickoff than the Liberty Bowl. That fan, those those Memphis fans are going to be frothing at the mouth to beat Ole Miss. And they can score. They can move the football. Norvell's a great play caller. They got talent offensively. This is a nightmare scenario for Ole Miss. I think they're going to lose. There are there are six point Ole Miss, a SEC team is a six point underdog to a conference or to a AAC team. That's a that tells you that Vegas has no respect for them. Do you? I, I just like to take Memphis. <laughs> it's they're going to have to prove to me that they can that they can win this kind of these kind of games because I, I just Ole Miss and Arkansas, man. I just I, I just think they're going to easily pull up the cellar, and they're both yeah. terrible teams. That's just my mindset of, of both of them, mm-hmm. and so I'm not picking them to win in the Liberty Bowl. No, okay, so I, I've got them on one. Well, then those two teams you mentioned, no, talk about your season. You're going to know what you are right out the gate with Ole Miss. They play Arkansas week two in Oxford. Now, Arkansas is a team that has dominated Ole Miss recently. Last year had them on the ropes and had them almost knocked out, and then a couple of injuries put the game back into Ole Miss's favor, and they were able to, to win in the final minutes. Um, the, what made Arkansas beat Ole Miss in years past was – Arkansas could just line up and run the football right at you. I don't know if they still do that now. I don't know if they can do that. If they if if, if Chad Morris changes some things up and says like we're going to run the ball about forty five times, fifty times in this game, they're, they're going to beat Ole Miss because Ole Miss can't stop anybody running the ball, let alone Arkansas. Um, but for me, if Ole Miss loses this game, they're going two and ten. They're going two and ten. I, I don't think Ole Miss is going two and ten. So. Well, then you think they're going to win this game? Yeah, so. I'll give them the W. I'm going to give them the W, but boy, I want to see that first game. Because if Memphis just runs up and down the field on them and puts up 40, 50 points, I'm going to change this pick. But I'll take today, I'll take the Rebels. I'll take them again the next week when they play Southeast Louisiana. Yeah. So they're 2-1. Two two and, one. One. and then this this this, this stretch, this, the, remain, the, the next month and a half, is just it's just awful. Uh, they take on Cal uh, in a rematch. Yeah, that game was played in 2017. And they come back, Cal comes here. The, the Ole Miss needs to pray for like an 11 a.m. or got a 1 o'clock September, and they'll be hot. But Cal's really good. Believe it or not, Cal's really good defensively, even though they have Sermon on staff. He's, a, he's just a linebacker's coach. Justin Wilcox is their head coach. He is a defensive whiz. Um, I mean, I, th- I think they'll, they'll slow down the Ole Miss offense, and they'll be able to run. I, I'm going to take Cal to win this game. I don't know enough about Cal, really, to make an intelligent pick here. Mm-hmm. What I will say is they're – at the beginning of this deal, I almost was 
I almost told you I think that they would split the Memphis Cal thing. Like I can yeah. see them going one and one there. So I'll give them the win here, but I'm not real confident of that. So I'll have them. So I'll Cal. have Ole Miss a win better than you right now. Cal was seven and six a year ago. Um, I mean they were just pretty good defensively. The only two teams that scored a bunch of points on them somehow was UCLA, and then Oregon. Oregon I don't have an issue with, but you know UCLA that's a little bit concerning. But other than that, I mean they gave up right at what thirteen, right, right, just under twenty points a game. Yeah. That's that's bad news for the Rebels. But I've got Ole Miss at three and one. Wow. I got them at two and two. Uh, I got a feeling I'm about to. They're about to go downhill. They're going to Alabama. Eh, it's three and two right. for me. Two yeah, and three. They're, they're they're losing. All right. Here's where their season's going to swing for you then, and maybe for me too. Vanderbilt comes to Ole Miss, and everybody, you know, oh Vanderbilt. No, no. Vanderbilt has has dominated. It's not the right word, but they have been successful against Ole Miss for basically the last decade. Uh, you go back, let's, let's just look at, at this decade for Ole Miss. Uh, 2010, loss. 2011, loss. 2012, loss. 13, they won, and that was a last-minute win, if you recall. Uh, they, they blew them out in 14. Uh, they blew them out in 15. Is that right? Where is, where is Vandy? Yeah, oh, it was close. Never mind, it was closer than I thought. 16, uh, loss. 17, they won big, and then last year they lost. I mean, what team has had more success against Ole Miss, or what team has had less success against Vanderbilt than Ole Miss? Um, and Vanderbilt can run the football. They have Keyshawn Vaughn back there. I'm going to take Ole Miss today, but again, that, that that's very much, very much up in the air. I think I took Ole Miss when we did the Vandy picks. Yeah. So I'm going to stick with that for now. Yeah. So okay, four and two for me. So you're they're, they're moving right along. Wow. I've got them at three and three. Uh. They travel to Missouri. Loss. That's a loss. And it's on the road. That's a loss. Texas A&M. Loss. That's a loss. At Auburn. Loss. Okay. New Mexico State. At home. Win. That's a win. So five you and five and five. I've got them four and six. They welcome LSU. Loss. And then there's the Egg Bowl. Loss. That's a loss. I mean, state. If nothing else, I know that state can just line up and run the football right yeah, at them. Five and seven, I've got them, and you got them four and eight. Four and eight. In my scenario, I think Luke is safe regardless. There's not much he could do to look. I mean, because there's nobody to fire. There's nobody to fire. But here, my scenario also says that they could very easily lose to uh, Arkansas and to Vanderbilt and be two and ten. And then I think there just might be enough pressure to, to push him out at two and ten. At two and ten, maybe he's probably gone. They, they they would just find a way, you know. It was yeah, like we had to do this. Yeah, you pop a two and ten, and weird things start happening. Yeah, you, at that point, but, especially, especially I mean, what happens in the egg bowl might matter a lot too. I mean, let's say you're let's say you know like I've got them four and eight, but they lose that egg bowl, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but let's say they lose the egg bowl again, like forty two to three, which it could have easily been last year. I mean, what's the uh, what's the fallout from that? Then you've lost three out of four to state at that point, and, and so. But that this is not this. If this team is good, if they make a bowl, I'll be really, really, really surprised. It's because I don't know how well Corral is going to fit with what they want to do offensively. I mean, the Rich Rodriguez offense. I always think of a running quarterback, and I don't know the Corral. I mean, Corral's got mobility, but is he a guy who can carry the ball 15, 20 times? I don't know if he's that. Um, they can sit there and tell me that Longo was the problems offensively. I'm not going to buy into that as much. And you've lost three outstanding receivers. I like Elijah Moore. I think Braylon Sanders is pretty talented. They got a couple of freshmen, you know, Mingo and Dennis Jackson. But I'm not going to buy into they're going to be better offensively than they were a season ago. And I don't buy into the fact that they're going to be better defensively because they just don't have the talent. 
They just don't. And so that that's a recipe for a losing season. If this team is good, I'm going to give up on organized religion. I just I'm out at that point. I'm gonna stop going to church. I'm gonna stop thinking about it. Just prepare for, you know, when you die, you just close your eyes and that's that. There's nothing beyond the void. I nearly gave up in 2015 after that crazy touchdown they scored on Alabama. Oh, gosh. I'm telling you, I looked at the TV and I just like, there is no God. I, I said it out loud. I called a friend. I was like, I'm done. I'm done with church. There's, I, look at how the wicked prosper. <laughs> I was so mad. I've never, I don't know that I've ever been that mad about another game in my life. I was so angry. When he caught, I was just like, I mean, what do I have to do? I just shook my fist at the heavens. It's like, you're not even listening. So, all right. That's my confession for you, for you Reverend. All right, tomorrow's show, um, we will uh, do a box score, Mississippi State versus Arkansas. We'll look at that game. Uh, we'll, we'll talk again. Well, between now and then, we'll talk to some defensive players. Uh, and between now and then, until I see you again. It's you, little Colin Ray. Uh, and, you know, you could have gone Little Rock there, too, because we're, we're playing Arkansas. Talking about Arkansas. Uh, and everything it's not, else. It's not Little Rock, though. It's in Fayetteville. It doesn't though. matter. It's, it's still, it's a great song. Uh, so whenever we get it between now and then, we'll talk about it uh, then. For Joel T. Coleman, Woo! I'm Brian Hayden. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk. Mississippi Media Production.